Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hi, you're all very welcome back folks to the Celtic Soul podcast as we hit episode number 53. Today we'll have the second part of my interview with Paul McQuaid. Paul, of course, is the editor of the Shamrock fanzine. If you tuned into episode 52, you'll agree with me that he's done so much within, I suppose, Celtic fandom with his books. And he's currently researching and writing a book on Johnny Doyle. He's also one of the founding members of the Celtic Graves Association and the man behind the Walford Walking Tour which he brought us on virtually in part one of the interview. So stay tuned, folks, because a great conversation coming up with Paul. Folks, we're looking for some sponsorship. We've none for this episode. So if you're a Celtic-minded business or a Celtic supporters club or a rich Celtic fan and you'd like to throw us a couple of quid towards the sponsorship, towards uh, the production of the podcast, please get in contact with us through the website, messages on social media, or you can contact us at info at CelticFanzine.com. And if you're a listener or a reader and you would like to support our independent Celtic fan platform, you can do so by becoming a member, subscribing, buying, donating for the price of a pint. Membership starts at $7.99, subscriptions $5.99. I think our online shop will kick off with the digital fanzine at $2.50. Merchandise from a fiver and keep an eye out because we're having a sale at the moment. So visit us again, CelticFanzine.com. Your support helps us to continue to produce quality fan journalism, fanzines, the podcast. We're going to start doing a bit of video content again. And once again, fan events when we can get back to doing them. So folks, keep all the comments coming in and suggestions for guests you'd like us to have on the show. And we will contact them and we'll try and dig into their Celtic souls. Here's a few of the comments from the last episode. Finally up to date with these podcasts. Great listen for all Celtic fans. Fair play to the big man, Andrew Millen. I was 20 episodes behind, but I caught up out walking during the current lockdown. And that comes from John Mooney from the Rue Glen Hotel in Kilkenny. Fair play to you, John, and thanks for your sponsorship. You sponsored a couple of podcasts, and we look forward to you sponsoring another one when the hotel opens up again. Rowan is laughing here at me. 
And John is in Kilkenny um, and he, cor he corrected me on that the Kennedys are from Wexford and not Waterford because his hotel's in Kilkenny. I was drinking in Waterford and the Kennedys are in Wexford and I think I've got around the whole place in about half an hour. So just goes to show how close John is to all these counties. He must be doing some business down in a hotel. A chat all about things Celtic with Ireland's best homegrown product since Brendan Shine and Mrs Doyle. And that comes in from our guest, Paul McQuaid, about my good self. Thank you very much, Paul. I've never been compared to either before, but I've been called war, so as I said, thank you. This will be a great listen. Can you ask Mr McQuaid how old he is in this picture? And I think that comes in from your mate, Paul Owen. I think he's taking the piss out of you now. Another fantastic pod, and looking forward to part two, and that again came in from Owen. Hi, Andrew. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I'm really enjoying them. Love the variety of guests you have on. And it's helped me get through the lockdown when I can't be bothered getting out for a walk or a run. I get the podcast on and away I go. We met briefly in Paris just before the PSG game when we came close to beating them. Well, we did indeed. We came close to beating them for a couple of minutes and then they hammered us. And that comes in from Neil Patterson. Neil also planted a seed uh, in my head for a podcast idea. So more on that in the coming weeks. And thank you, Neil, for sending me on the story about the All Blacks and probably get round to talking about that on one of the podcasts. We've also been busy putting out articles on the website this week. And Liam Kelly's article entitled The Toonbridge Woman Who Owns Celtic has got a lot of traffic and a lot of interest. It's about Tom McCulgan and where his shares went. Uh, and one of the reader who contacted us was former Celtic director Tom Grant, who was on the old board before the takeover. Uh, he did back Fergus McCann eventually. His shares were handed down to him from his dad, who in turn came down the McCulgan chain. I'm going to speak to Tom and hopefully he might come on the podcast and we can get an insight into the old board before the takeover because we've had Matt McLean on himself for change and we've had David Lowe on who, who walked alongside Fergus during the takeover. So it'll be interesting to get uh, Tom's take. Now he hasn't agreed to come on the podcast but I am uh, chasing him up on that one and we are emailing each other. I'm told he's a good salt as well so looking forward to hopefully getting him on the pod. And we also got a lovely message from Sean Fernie grandson of the legendary Willie Fernie, after we published an article by David Potter on his grandfather. So folks, keep all the stuff coming in, keep the comments coming in, and as I said, the suggestions for guests. And don't forget to check out CelticFansin.com for daily news and articles and opinion on the current team, and there's some great historical articles there to read, and loads of timeless articles posted in the library. So something for you to do on a rainy day or a lockdown Sunday. Ah, here we are in the month of February, and I have to say it's been a lot kinder to us on the pitch, well, so far anyway. Neil Lennon has settled on a team. The only arrival in the transfer window was John Joe Kenny, and he seems to have settled into the right-back position. He's a regular now in the starting 11, played in the three games since he came in. We've conceded one goal and scored 10, so I know the 10's gone, but we need to be positive about these results and performances. Even if on Wednesday night, we had to kind of wait an hour for the game to really kick off. But when it did, geez, we got three goals in five minutes, 4-0 wins, so we have to be happy with that. Now, El Hamid has joined Frimpong and his shaman exiting the Celtic Park building. He arrived in the summer of 2019 and made his debut in the 7-0 win over St. Johnson. And he leaves with a treble of medals. League Cup, League and Scottish Cup medals in his back pocket. He struggled to adjust to life during COVID and he was missing his family. 
no matter how much money you have and no matter what your lifestyle is, it must be a pain in the ass to be just sitting around on your own after training and waiting for the game. And he wasn't in the team. Frimpong was playing ahead of him. So I suppose it's probably a good bit of business for him and the club. It's early days with this defence, but 10 goals and one against is a great start to the month. And hopefully the injury to Stephen Welch he picked up on Wednesday night is not going to keep him sidelined too long. And like Kenny, he's played the last three games alongside Ayer and Taylor and consistency seems to be the key here. The Green Brigade seem to know how to get the headlines in Scotland in the media. They once again unfurled a banner on Wednesday morning outside Celtic Park this time. And again, it split the Celtic support on Twitter and social media. On the pitch, it was a comfortable win after Tom Rodgers' goal settled us down. And I did say earlier there that, you know, 60 minutes, kind of pre-season friendly, really. And then once Eddie slotted the penalty, Christy Turnbull. Impressive result. Yet he continued up front after not getting a two-match ban for being cited for diving. And the gap is now, I don't really want to say it, but half the, it's 18 points, but we have a game in hand. St. Johnson are next on Sunday at lunchtime. And let's hope Chris Boyd is missing again from the Sky Sports lineup. He has to be the worst pundit around and he does me head in, I have to say. So hopefully we get another win and another clean sheet on Sunday. Now my guest again this week on the podcast is Paul McQuaid as we have the second part of our conversation. Paul is editor of the Shamrock Fanzine. He's also the man behind the Walking Walford Tour. Founding man, one of the founding members of the Celtic Graves Association. I have to get that in because there is a, a group of them. And he's also written three books on Celtic. Said Lizzie to Philip, how Celtic gay crashed the coronation. This is how it feels to be Celtic, an account of the invincible season. And he is currently writing a biography on Johnny Doyle. The portfolio was so big as a Celtic supporter. Um, Paul, three books, but one one um, which which interests me is this is how it feels to be Celtic because um, I was there. What an amazing season. What an amazing time. You know, the last nine years. Yeah. I think we're starting to lose sight of what we've we've done in the last nine years because of how emotionally we are involved with the 10. We've just done a quadruple treble and sometimes it doesn't even get spoken about when you're in conversation. You know, the topic of conversation is Neil Lennon and Peter Lowell and maybe Diamond Desmond. But there is so much more to talk about. But that season in particular, you know, the Invincible season, it was just, you know, it was brilliant and barely Scott Sinclair. You know, these these new players that came in. And there was, there was, like, there was so many highs um, and it was a season where you can't, I can't recount the miles because... You wanted to be at every game. You were home and away. Oh, we're back in Europe. We took a few. We took a few hammerings, mind you. Yeah. You know, we, we, we hammered the Huns. You know, like, but it's only when you read a book like this, and it's so recent that the memories start flowing back to you. You know, because I, I, I'm sure if someone says to me, so it'll bring back another memory. You know, the one that sticks out for me at that season was definitely the 5 1. You know, the Tom Roger goal because everyone keeps hanging on a bit. Um, when I hit the back of the net. As you said, you know, like winning, winning the whole time in Hamden because I've had so much disappointment in that stadium. But what are your, you know, re relight my fire with that season again? Give me some of your highlights. As the season was progressing, I thought I really want to try and record some of this because it's it's felt like the best example, and certainly subsequent years I think have demonstrated this, the best example of unity between the fans, the club, and the players, and the management as well. Because not only did we have a fantastic team who not were the only winning regularly, they were playing some superb football, um, but they were they were pulling off some great results. You know, one of the ones that sticks out for me is that game at Fur Park, which I was lucky enough to be at um, when we won 4-3. 
and it was just, I was like two boxers going at it, you know, um, and we kept coming back, and the scenes um, when the final whistle went were just sensational, you know, because thinking, we're going to keep this run going. You know, this could actually happen. You know, we could keep going and not getting beat this season. Um, and that's before you even get to the semi-finals and the, the cup finals and what have you. But it's for me, it was the fact that the um, in the stadium, the singing section, the standing section, sorry, had just been created, right? And nobody really knew how that was going to play out, you know? I, I was certainly hopeful because um, I can't think of a better place for it, for it to take root, you know? And it's something that the new stadium had been missing a little bit, you know, especially when less successful periods, there wasn't a lot of noise being generated. So effectively, the Green Brigade moved down the wee part of the, the, the ground and between, and then people were able to move into that area as well. And then we've got this, um, not just um, standing and singing, but we've got banners and displays, the like of which we've never really seen before. So that to me becomes the new beaten corner, uh, the beaten side of Celtic Park, you know. And the whole stadium, the whole support responded to that magnificently. And through that, we then had songs about players the likes we'd never created before, or certainly not for years. Um, individual supporters clubs were creating their own songs um, on the way trips up to Inverness and Dingwall, and they were taking they were taking root amongst the whole support. You know, the Brendan Rodgers songs, the Kieran Tierney songs, Scott Sinclair song, <laughs> the Stuart Armstrong song is just absolutely incredible. You know, for those of us who grew up in the eighties, all these kind of electronica songs from our youth now being put to, to Celtic words and Celtic music. So this combination of the support having the time of our lives, fantastic team, inspirational manager as well, brilliant coach, which I think we're all now <laughs> slowly beginning to acknowledge again, because much like with Kieran Tierney, Brendan Rogers' reputation is going through something of re rehabilitation at the moment as well. Um, and it just turned into this season that snowballed into a season like no other. So once the season was finished, I thought, I thought about it and I said, nah, it's going to take too long. Then I had a chat with my wife and I tried to get her to persuade me. Um, you should do it because you'll probably never have another season quite like it, which will probably be the case. Um, you say that, you know, the the Rogic moment in the rain, um, not his best goal, but um doesn't matter, you know. That was that's probably the the closest I've ever came to crying and with joy. Uh, uh, watching Celtic at that moment because I knew that if we won that game, I would have a season that none of my ancestors had experienced, you know, that this was going to be my defining moment as a Celtic fan. And I think that's why it sticks in so many people's minds as well, because we did it, invincible season and a treble, incredible. And just as you were saying there, Andrew, the doing four trebles in a row, it will take years for people for Celtic fans to properly appreciate what the team achieved and what we experienced. And these things often do, you know, because for me growing up, um, never did the treble until I was in uh, my thirties, um, Mark O'Neill, 2001. Rangers had done it a couple of times when I was young and then they did it a couple of times um, during their nine in a row. Um, so you're thinking, well, this is something you'd really like to enjoy, you know. So we did it under Martin. That was amazing. Um, and then that season with Brendan Rodgers and those players was amazing. But to keep doing it, competition after competition, going back to Hamden, beating everything that was put in front of us, um, year after year after year after year, absolutely incredible. 
And you're right, we don't appreciate it, but I think we will come to appreciate it even more the wee distance in time as well. And I think some of the younger fans will as well because they they kind of give me a bit of stick for being a, they call me a Celtic da. <laughs> but you know, as I say back to them, but you'll be a Celtic da one day too, and you will look back at this because this may never happen again. You know, in the Vince season, treble, two trebles, three trebles, four trebles, unbelievable. Now, when Brendan Rodgers came to Celtic, while we're on Brendan, he 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 was looking for love. He'd fill out a love with Liverpool. You know, he'd almost won the league with Liverpool. So he'd proved, yeah. he'd proved, I think he'd proved the Swansea to hide pedigree. And then at Liverpool, he almost won the league. I forget the name of the player that fell on his ass to let him down. But anyway, I wonder what ever happened to him. I don't think he ever recovered from it, you know. <laughs> in, in, in fact, um, his name, I think, no, I can't remember his name. Anyway. Um, slipped from memory. Yeah, he slipped as well, didn't he, you know. But he let his whole team down and he let, you know, he no matter what he ever achieves the rest of his life, he let his team down that day. He let his, he let his city down. You know, he let every he let his mates down. He let everyone down. That man is not to be trusted. You know, <laughs> but but anyway, I forget his name anyway. But I don't trust him anyway. <laughs> but Brendan came in right. He needed love, and he found love. We fell in love with him, as you say, the singing section. You know, the song, the Pesh Mode. We just can't get enough, and we couldn't. He couldn't get enough of us. We couldn't get enough of him. You know, Brendan Rogers here for ten in a row. But I always knew, and I always felt. He was so ambitious. And if he wasn't going to get success in Europe, he was going to eventually move. I didn't expect him to be here for 10. I didn't expect him to go the way he went. But I, you know, he was, I knew he was ambitious and I knew that we should be more ambitious. I thought we should be more ambitious. I don't think it's acceptable, you know, just to be better than Rangers or better than yeah. Debt Rangers or Sevco or whatever they're called now. As I said, I did believe he would live. Um, I did think he was, he, there was rumours about the transfer window, that player that went to Valencia. There was a few signals that everything wasn't well within the camp. We're hearing, the, you know, his relationship when he left, people that were close to Brendan or maybe close to people who were close to him were saying, and people I trust, all the people, people that don't normally come out with, with bullshit, but they were saying, look, there's a lot more to this. So then you're hearing that, Brendan's relationship with Peter was 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 very much strained after that deal not getting over the line. There was private jets involved in that and contracts agreed. And, you know, two days later, it still wasn't over the line. And this is what we're hearing, but we probably won't ever hear the truth until either Peter Lawler writes a book or Brendan Rogers writes a book. It just it just didn't fit, you know. And when Brendan left during the night, you know, he he, he became the villain. Yep. Uh, you know, the pantomime villain. But then, you know, I don't agree with the way he was called a rat or a snake. It suited the club for him to be made the villain because at the end of the day, he was going to leave eventually. He was leaving He was leaving steady foundations there. The club was back up. We were back up in a high hour. You know, we were winning travels. But one thing that sticks out with me is the amount of money the club made by him leaving. So as a PLC... Yeah. It was a brilliant business deal. When I mentioned Brendan Rodgers to some people, and people have, I wouldn't say I've nearly come to blows with people in, in airports, but it has got quite heated, you know, because they just it was just a one-sided thing. And I said, look, it's two sides to every story. They were saying, Brendan's a rat. Brendan left us. We loved him, and he left us. And I think it was Heskey summed it up on Facebook. Paul Heskey from Belfast summed it up the best, you know. He, he said it was like, it was like, it was like the love of your life, your wife leaving you. 
you know, and then and, and it did feel and it was it was it was quite emotional as well when he went. But what's your thoughts on it? You know, was he the villain? Was he the rat? Or was Peter Lawwell? I'll never forget the reaction of the Celtic support to Rogers leaving. It was just incredible. And as you were saying there, it was almost like, you know, this generation of guys, age 30, 40, 50, whatever, it was as if they were involved in the first teenage heartbreak. You know, the reaction from individuals, some of them I know was just disgraceful, you know? But they were so, they were so upset because it happened so quickly and it was a betrayal. And he left the team in the lurch. And some of the things that I say there still hold true, you know. Um, can you imagine if he persuaded John Kennedy and the goalkeeping coach to go as well? We would have been left with nobody for that Hearts game, you know. Um, so it's like any kind of classic love affair, isn't it? We were head over heels uh, because in the manager stakes, he was a super, he was a superstar. He did have an affinity with the club, but there was always these wee doubts. So my friend Jim, for example, always said to me, there was a podcast that I think uh, St. Anthony, Stevie Murray, uh, did with Tommy Burns' wife, you know, great, uh, great interview, really enjoyed it, some great stories that Rosemary had, uh, including uh, back in, uh, when we won the Cup in 85, it was such good news for the wives because it meant that Celtic players would get a bonus uh, and that the Burns family were able to go on holiday abroad that year. <laughs> it's just like completely different stratosphere, you know, in terms of money in football. Just that one story helped illustrate. But Stephen did ask um, Rosemary Burns about Brendan Rogers, you know, uh, because of the the time spent down in Reading, uh, and you know, Brendan had said he'd worked under Tommy. And what my what my friend Jim pointed out was, you know, Rosemary Burns knows him, but she doesn't seem to know much about him. You know, it's not as if he's had a great impact on her, you know. Whereas the way that Brendan Rogers had been telling the story was that he'd got quite close to Tommy then. Now, I was battering what Jim was saying to me, but there was other things that came up that year, including the Danny McGrain story, right? And I was thinking, I'm still thinking, nah, this has been blown up. But there's a there's a definite character defect in Brendan Rogers' personality. He definitely exaggerates certain things. It's probably related to his ego as well. So when I was doing that book, I did more research into his career, his background. Um, fortunately, one of my pals I know from Cushion Doll, um, one of his pals, uh, went to school with Brendan, used to play football with him as well. So I was getting a wee bit of information of what he was like back then. And um, definitely a Celtic fan, definitely had been to Celtic Park. But I think what we had here was a guy who had a connection with Celtic, but when he came here, he knew exactly what to say to the support to get them on. You know, he's talking about being in Baird's Bar, coming over for the games, and we as a support lapped it up. And we lapped up the success as well. But as you said, Andrew, this is a very driven guy. He's got a career, and that career is never going to be spent in Glasgow. And unfortunately, 10 in a row. And this is the kind of same thing happened with Kieran Tierney as well, you know. Um, the reaction to the support there was very bitter because some people thought Kieran Tierney could never leave. Well, we were trying to go for nine and then ten in a row, but he did leave, and that broke hearts as well. And the reaction to that was really over the top from a lot of people as well now, you know. And as I said, both those individuals' reputations starting to be rehabilitated among the Celtic support. For me, I always liked both of them, and I ended up writing extensively about both of them in that book because they were two of the cornerstones to that invincible season. And they came in for a lot of stick that they didn't deserve, 
But I think, you know, for a lot of support, we had our minds closed. And I was guilty of that. You know, my pal Jim was saying to me, there's some warning signs here. This guy isn't the Celtic support he's making himself out to be. There's lots of inconsistencies. But I was shutting my mind off because I was besotted by the fact that he was getting so much out of that team. And I love the fact that as a coach, he was constantly there, constantly on the sideline, talking to guys. As soon as halftime came, as soon as the final whistle, he's on the pitch, he's in the rear, he's saying to them, you should have done this. You know, you should, you should. And coaching right from the word go. And what we understand, although we never really as fans get the proper insight, it looks as though he introduced a professionalism into Lennox Town, you know, into the whole structure that perhaps hadn't been there before, been there for a few years, and we benefited from that as well. But when he left, a lot of that left with him, unfortunately. Um, Neil Lennon, to his eternal credit, came in, picked up the pieces from that and took us on to more glory and deserves credit for that, you know, um, for winning the league, getting us over the line, for winning the cup. And when something you said earlier reminded me, Andrew, when some of my pals were saying to me after we lost the Rangers game back in September at home, Lennon's finished, we need to get somebody else in. What I was saying at that time was no, this guy turned it around in January. You know, we were in a dark place last January after they beat us. And, you know, and finally, after what happened in the League Cup final, although we won it, you could tell this is a team that's closing the gap on us, you know. But Neil Lennon did enough with the team to get us back on track um, in 2020 and then build up a significant lead. Although, interestingly, they collapsed as well. Um, but it was always going to be difficult clinching that for 10 in a row, given that they were strengthening again, you know. And he's a different kind of manager. I don't think we're going to get a manager like Brendan Rodgers for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting to get your take on, especially because you're researching for the book. On on Kieran, and I think this may go kind of unnoticed sometimes. Um, I love Kieran. I just thought he was, you know, he, he, he loved Celtic and he got, he got so much stick. I remember writing a piece when he left, you know, Kieran Tierney is still one of us, you know, and I got pelters for it, you know, because and it's maybe because I'm a little older and I have a son, you know, around Kieran's age now. Kieran played an awful lot of football from Ronnie Daly. I took him in. Yeah. You know, he played he, he played through the pain barriers. Um he he when he went to Arsenal, they they done it right. They went, look, get yourself fixed up and you know, we still see if it. But I would imagine if he was my son and what what an honour it would be to have your son playing for Celtic, and I know his dad. You know, it's it's, it's well documented. His dad had said he would go. He was the future, like you know. <laughs> yeah. But if you've got if 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 you're a player, and you've got an injury, and you've played a lot an awful lot of football, and we don't know how bad these injuries are or what pain killers they take or injections they take in the game, especially with a young player, if he gets the opportunity to make life changing money, and Celtic would have pushed that deal as well. Of that I have no doubt. Oh, and they would have known his injuries, you know. If they get an opportunity, you know, it's one that very few people would pass up. And at the end of the day, as fans, we're so emotionally involved in Celtic. But as players, players come and go. Even if even if they love Celtic, they come and go. Managers come and go. The board, although they've been there a long time, they come and go. But the fans stay, and I think, you know, we think everybody should stay with us that's successful. But they have their own agenda. And I wouldn't have a bad word said by Kieran Taney. He's a young yeah. kid. That money, the only thing I will say is it's definitely distracting the other Scottish players 
because someone said, I don't know if it was David Potter or David Lowe, somebody said recently on the podcast that he's coming up. They know the money he's on and the heads have been turned. You know, the Christie's and the McGregor's and all these players are thinking, oh, I could do that. Wow, imagine having that money, you know, because when is enough money enough? The, the days of the Tommy Bones and the Palmex days are long gone. But, you know, people say that, but if you read Tommy Burns' autobiography, Tommy almost left Celtic, I think, on two occasions because they weren't giving him decent money. So, of course, I'm reminded of the story that Rosemary Burns said in the podcast, you know, like, that was it. You know, they had to win the cup to get the bonus to pay for a family holiday abroad. And, that, and he'd been in the Celtic first team for about eight or nine years by then. Um, so Tommy had to fight hard to get the money that he thought he was worth from the Celtic board. Um, but you're right, players have always got their heads turned, especially the, the lure of England. You know, that was a problem that Celtic founding fathers had in the early days um, with some of the escapades. They got to try to get players to come back. But Johnny Doyle, when he got his international call-up, he tells a story, he told a story about how he would be playing cards with your guys like Lou McCarry, Billy Bremner. And he was amazed because these players who were based in England were betting money, which was two and three months Johnny Doyle's salary. Yeah, he was part-time and he had a job at Brighton Steel, but it was like two or three months wages that these guys were gambling because of the amount of money that they were on in England. So that allure has always been there, you know? And obviously, it's what I saw. I'd followed what some people were saying close to the family in some of the forums. If you follow it for long enough, you can detect whether what they're saying is more likely to be accurate or not, you know. And um, from what I was reading between lines, people were saying Kieran almost went before the Arsenal deal and it was Celtic who'd been pushing it, you know, but he was happy to stay at that time. But by the time it came, came about again the next year when Arsenal were interested, you're right, it was almost seemed to be a done deal. Celtic were pushing it really hard. For that family, that money meant the whole family are set up for the rest of their lives, not just Kieran Tierney. And I think that's something that we supporters often overlook, you know, because he was a guy who'd been injured quite badly. In fact, um, that Motherwell game I mentioned earlier in the Invincible season, um, that game, Andrew, it was at half-time, a lot of people shouting, and um, where I was, I was in the bottom tier, because Kieran was up in the top tier. His leg was in a cast. Um, but where he lives is just at the back of Fur Park, um, just up the road from Fur Park. And when I was leaving, um, what fans in the, the stadium taking the time because they were all waiting to get their autograph from Kieran, who was hobbling down the stairs on the way out. Um, and for me, I'd, I'd seen the stories, I'd seen pictures of him at games before I saw him uh, when he was injured at Hamilton as well, you know. But to see a Celtic player in amongst the support like that, um, it was quite surprising and quite heartwarming. But You've always got to be alive to the fact this is a guy who had a lot of injuries and there was a definite question mark over his fitness going forward as well. And um, Celtic got fantastic money for him. But you're right, he gets criticised because he was, you know, uh, waving the, the Green Brigades um, with the megaphone and the, the boys' flags as well. And people say, no, he should never have done that. But he did that because he's a supporter. Those groups wouldn't have let an imposter do that, you know what I mean? Because again, I understand you could links with both guys in both groups as well. Um, so it was because it meant something to him that he got to do it, you know? Rangers on their side, they've only got your man Andy what's his name to do it, you know what I mean? And um, that doesn't mean anything, it would appear. So all football supporters are looking to get that connection with a particular guy, and we had it with Kieran, um, and I'm not 
aggrieved, you know, about the fact he he, he left um, to go to England, and I'm pretty confident we'll hopefully see him back at Celtic Park sometime in the future. Well, we definitely see him back as a fan anyway, but if he comes back as a player. But that, that's that's a very interesting point that, you know, that he sets his whole family up for life. And that is a nice story. And it does get overlooked. Like, if if, uh, if any of my family are out there and they're listening and they would like to get a big move to a job, uh, I would definitely be like... And that goes out to my family in America, any rich relatives over there. There's always, there's always room in my credit union for a few quid. But, right. We spoke about um, pantomime villains when we mentioned Karen and um, Brendan, and another pantomime villain is Peter. Now he's going to Peter Lawwell is going to leave Celtic with a very impressive CV, no matter what anyone says. After seventeen years, which is which is a long time to be a CEO of any any company, we are we are a PLC, even though we're a football club. We we look at ourselves as fans, but the company looks at us as customers. But he leaves after 17 years and he's won 29 trophies. Ocelic have won 29 trophies during his time there now, which is, which is a great legacy. But like Neil Lennon, did he just hang on too long? Well, I mean, let's be honest, in his position, nobody was going to leave before this season, you know, because um, if Celtic had gone, done, gone on and done 10 in a row, then that would have been the highest, the high watermark to leave on. So uh, I certainly don't blame him for staying on and, uh, and hoping to achieve that. I just wish things were being handled a bit differently now, you know. As I said, I'm very frustrated as a supporter at the way I feel we've been treated in the past couple of months and the lack of communication. Um, issues like the refund that we talked about earlier as well, these should all have been much better handled. And I just get the feeling three, four years ago, they were getting better handled, you know. So something's going on. It might be the pandemic. There's a lot of staff at Celtic Park not working. You know, they're on furlough. So it must be a slightly unusual uh, workplace as well at the moment. Um, all of that could have had an impact. Um, but again, in terms of the PR and communications, I don't understand why they've become so poor. Um, but you're right, as football fans... We don't necessarily understand business. Um, we're not all involved in business. This is a corporate body. He's got specific roles and responsibilities. Um, and we just blame him for everything that goes wrong. And he gets a lot of credit from a lot of people. I think he, shouldn't, he gets more credit than he should um, for the success. Um, but I think we can see it's, it's hit and miss. You know, he's um, you know, the, the managers that came on, he gets the credit for. The players that we didn't get, he gets the blame for. So it's it's not easy to understand exactly what's been good and what's been bad under Peter Lawwell's reign. Um, I have a, a regular criticism that he's a micromanager, you know, and that nothing goes on at the club. Not talking about the football side, other sides as well, you know. Um, nothing goes on that he doesn't know about, that he's not got a, a kind of say over. And you think for the CEO, that's probably that should be a good thing. But again, it all depends how much time. It doesn't suggest a lot of trust in his managers um, if he's got that level of oversight. But again, unless you're there working, you don't really know the full story. Uh, and it's it's hard it's hard to bear judgment. The club's had this fantastic success. Now is that down to money? Is that down to Brendan Rodgers? You know we've got five, six, seven. If Brendan hadn't been the manager, I don't know. Perhaps not. So the club's definitely well run. I heard on the Radio Scotland on Saturday there was a panel question before the game, and there was a former Hearts player who's an agent. He was really talking Peter Lawwell up 
uh, Saint Celtic were in a great shape, great club to deal with in terms of negotiations. Um, he was a strong negotiator, uh, and he, from his point of view as an agent, Peter Lowell has served Celtic incredibly well. You know, um, and that was good to hear. Um, again, very professional, but yeah, I think probably too long in one place. Things need freshened up, and that's why some erosion has set in in different parts of the club as well. But he's he's a guy known for kindness too on a personal level. Um, there was one time, I think going back about three years, we had a Graves, Celtic Graves Society event um, along the road at Dalbeth um, and we had descendants um, from the player. I can't remember which player it was, unfortunately, because we've done this quite a few times. Um, however, as sometimes happens, depending on the circumstances, the club offer um, the family a seat or two at the game in the in the big director's box, you know, and uh, somebody from the grave site is usually invited along to chaperone them, you know, and I was that day, um, which was very, very good. After the game, back in the director's box, uh, sorry, back in the, the lounge area, and Peter Lowell came over to speak um, to the family, and it was a father and son who were through from the East Coast, um, so he took the time to do that, but then, and I wasn't expecting this, he then personally took the guys and us um, through along the corridor outside the, the first team dressing room for Brendan to come out. And Peter Lowell personally introduced the family to Brendan and some of the first team players. And that blew their mind away. And that was just an example of kindness that he didn't need to do because he's a busy man. Because back in that lounge, there's all sorts of directors from other clubs, business contacts, but he took the time out to do that, you know. And I think moments of um, kindness like that deserve to be remembered um, from someone who is a Celtic fan, but deserved criticism for the way some things are, are done at the club, you know? Yeah, it, that, and that's, that is a, is a nice story. I've met Peter briefly a few times. The last time I was I was given a cheque to the foundation, to Tony, and it yep. was outside the boardroom at half-time, and I'd gone down the stairs and, and then and, um, Peter came along and he stopped, and it was just like, hello, how are you? You know, little little bit. And um, we we would have attended. Um, I didn't go. Michael went. We would have attended. The, they had this kind of fans meeting, not to view ourselves. And and I think really they wanted to get us all to pedal, you know, to toe the line and, you know, not to be one big happy family. And I don't know who else was at the meetings because I didn't attend. But I know that, you know, Michael was pulled aside after the meeting and was basically said, but Peter, you can't speak to me like that in front of people. So we, we then had a channel to speak privately because obviously people were saying to us, if you get in there, we'll ask me about, you know, this, that and the other. Yeah. You know, and like, like, we're nobodies, you know, we're just fans. So, but we had an opportunity. But um, funny enough, after a couple of their meetings and a couple of them had spoken meetings, um, they stopped the meetings and unknown to ourselves, they started it again under another name, but they didn't invite <laughs> us back. So, like maybe we just didn't maybe we asked the wrong questions but we thought they were the right questions but we're still waiting for the answers for some of them we never got but anyway yeah I, I didn't really have many dealings with Peter and I, I, I would have I always put my trust in people like the Celtic Trust and we have, a, we have a big supporters club here and there's a couple of other big supporters clubs that wouldn't be affiliated to any associations so yeah. and we would have a rep within that that would would be when there's a meeting on, he would attend on, on behalf of maybe four or five big big supporters clubs, maybe a bit more, who would have, each club would have maybe over 100 books. So, you know, together they would have a bit of sway. So I always put my faith in them. 
and uh, wait for wait for the outcome when we're looking for something. Be a, you know, at the end of the day, we want fairness, but we all fight our own corner for tickets or what, whatever it is. But so, you've hit on one of my big gripes there, Andrew. And what you were explaining there, I know other people very similar experiences, and I think this is how Celtic have operated in the Peter Lawwell era, as far as the fans are concerned. So they would have meetings with certain groups of fans, um, so like the fanzines, you know, and the forums. And because some the, the huddle board they would talk openly about what was said at these meetings, but the club didn't want what was discussed at the meetings necessarily publicised. And there's sometimes good reasons for that, you know. So there's a degree of confidentiality needed. And then you've got the affiliation and the association. And I think maybe they moved away from fanzines because they then wanted to concentrate more on the online side. But it was all about nurturing elements of the support. And of course, supporters now say, go, oh, you're in there, you're getting the, the coffee and the tea and you're going to spout their line and all the rest of it. And a lot of fans just wouldn't go for that. You know, no, that's not going to happen. But what I wanted, what I've always wanted to see is like, we need a, an actual supporters organisation that represents individuals. You know, it's not good enough. We've got supporters clubs, some supporters clubs split between two different bodies and the communication from them to, to their members is very poor, always has been, you know. We don't have anything where those fans who are particularly interested in developments of the club have any kind of say. There's the shares things, and, and David um, in his interview talked about that in great detail and explained a lot of stuff that I didn't properly understand before as well. But not all supporters are shareholders, you know. But what, we, what we're missing at Celtic is an independent supporters organisation that people can join up and be represented. And I think Celtic under Peter Lowell have been quite skillful in avoiding that from happening and not encouraging that. And that's a real missed opportunity. So now I've been a member of the Celtic Trust previously and have recently rejoined again. It's definitely not an opportunity for the Trust to take on that role, you know, um, because we need it as a supporters group. We need a voice, you know, and I don't think the Celtic support have that voice at the moment. And that's that's a real missed opportunity. And people at the club shouldn't be scared of the support, which is another thing that seems to have happened in the aftermath of the protests um, and the reluctance to engage with fans. This is just sowing more and more frustration. But what comes as a result of that? My concern is it's apathy. And then people, they just lose a wee bit of interest, you know? And I can't help get the feeling that there's some people involved in football clubs don't mind the idea of empty stadiums as long as the money's still coming in, so it's less hassle for them. So hopefully this is something that the new guy will address. But again, chief executives are corporate beings themselves. And, you know, if we're customers rather than supporters to them, that's not something they're ever going to engage with. Yeah, the reason why I joined the Celtic Trust, I've been in a supporters club, an independent supporters club for over 20 years and before that, I was in, in a different supporters club. And before that, I just travelled as a guest of, of, yeah. of a supporters club. But I like the fact that we weren't affiliated to anyone because there's politics between the you know the affiliation, the supporters association, the Irish association. Yeah. And I've got friends in, the, in all these these um, groups, you know. And I see people falling out over stuff that or saying stuff on social media now or slagging off a group or saying something outside the ticket office or the pool's office or something. And when I joined the Trust, one of the reasons I joined was because it, it didn't have... It had members of all these groups. Yeah. So I firmly believe that. And the fact that I'm not a shareholder, but I became a shareholder by joining the Celtic Trust because the money I paid in for a share or whatever. So 
that's what that's what attracted me because I now had a little say in the club, you know, because my season book means nothing. Because if I give up my season book, there'll be someone to take it. Maybe not this season, mm-hmm. but once the success comes back, and the fact and 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 it kills me to say it, but the fact that the new club come twice a year gets people very excited, and it's fantastic when you win. It is a fantastic occasion. It's a sporting occasion that neutrals want to go to. But for me, you know, it's not just about Rangers. It's about it's about Dundee and a cold Tuesday night. They, they, yeah. There's so much. But going back to the trust, and that's why we've had them on on the podcast because I do think it's 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 a group that can unite us all. And I've seen people on social media, and I said it to a pal, and he says, "Oh, oh you mean the swamp?" Because he says he says if people are slagging off the trust, he says there's something wrong. He says it's a swamp. He says because it's tr- it's there for everyone to see what it is. There's no seats in in the director's box for the trust. You know, <laughs> if if it was to span tomorrow, all the money that's there on the shelves would go to charity. Like this is this is not this is not, and there's no one within the trust, especially not Jeanette, who who walks tirelessly pushing an ego. Egos don't bring it in. Don't bring it to defend the fans that were assaulted in Amsterdam. Ego wants ego wants to be seen pictured in the boardroom. Ego wants to be seen with the players. You know, ego doesn't want to be doing the hard work of getting solicitors and being and, and going up going up to the whatever you call it over there, the parliament, or going up to Edinburgh for to defend the you know to fight people who have been banned during the offensive behaviour act. Right? You know, anyone that goes on and slags these people off really should take a good look at themselves. And go deeper into the swamp and fuck off. Excuse the language, because I, I'm I'm shocked that someone could find fault with this group, you know. Because for, for 20 years they've been doing nothing but defending the fans. So well, you've got to remember, social media provides a platform to anybody to say anything they want, you know. And some people just love an argument. So I've seen some people turning on the trust already and saying, "Ah, oh, you should be doing this and you should be putting that statement out." And I've nipped in a couple of times and said, "Email them." This isn't social media is not the place for this, you know. If you if you, you can join and if you email them, somebody will take the time to respond. But social media is not an appropriate means of communication for everything, you know. And fans need to realize that. But you always get an element of people. Some of these people really go to Celtic Park, you know, but they've got a big profile on social media. So as you say, you know, um for those who get to the games regularly, who get away, get to Europe, then the people in the trust are well known because they're well-established Celtic supporters and that's why they've got the good reputation they have amongst the ultra groups and the other fans group as well you know because they've they've given up their time to help a whole range of people a whole range of Celtic supporters and they get the credit for that you know I mean I remember the um, Johnny Thompson Memorial Tournament five or six years ago I think it was the first time I'd ever met Eddie and Jeanette although I knew them you know um, but they just came along for the day you know what I mean? From Glasgow, just to just to experience what that's like. And it's always a very good day out, you know, um, and you get your chance to pay your respects at the end of it as well. But I thought that that's just you know that's just different different gravy, isn't it? You know, it's just people who've got Celtic running through their veins. Um, doesn't mean to say anybody's perfect or anybody shouldn't be subject to criticism if it's deserved. But that's the problem with social media. You know, people just use it as a platform to abuse. But that's why you've got a mute button and that's why you've got a block button. And people shouldn't be afraid to use it because you wouldn't sit in a pub and listen to some of these idiots. So why would you sit, you know, on your phone or sitting in your laptop listening to them? You just shut them down. 
Yeah, you're dead right. Shut them down or shut them up. I think it may, may be the younger days we might have confronted them in the pub, but as well as well as well like Dad's there, we, we wouldn't be able for them. <laughs> hey, listen, we, we we mentioned Peter. Dominic McKay, new CEO coming in. Please tell me you know something about him because I spent five hours. You know, <laughs> two people I know in business sent me stuff. One sent me a lot of rugby stuff. And one that lives in New York sent me some great stuff on him because he obviously reads business magazines or, or, or something. So I, I, I read through all of that. And then a few people sent me other bits and pieces. There was a, Matt McGlone posted up an interview with him on YouTube, had a look at that. So I'm going five hours and I still, I still don't, I still have enough to write a decent article on this bloke. And then I go on online and all these clickbait sites had stuff up two minutes later. What am I doing wrong? How can they research this guy in two minutes and have all this stuff up about him from cut and paste and all the stuff, all these, the same pages about him because there wasn't that much about him. So yeah. uh, that's my little dig at the clickbait sites. But <laughs> I, did, I, spent, I spent the whole morning trying to read up about him and I know a lot about rugby now. I know about Glasgow rugby. I know about Edinburgh rugby. <laughs> you know, so so I, I, I'll say it. I've said it once before to one of the boys and I'll say it again. There's a huge difference between being involved in rugby in Scotland and being involved yeah. in Celtic Football Club. There's also there's a animal. No, absolutely. There's also there's a difference between being involved in running a, a single sporting institution as opposed to an association. Um, so I actually knew very little about Dominic Mackay before the announcement was made. I don't think I'd ever really heard the name before. Interesting, he's not the CEO of Scottish Rugby. He's number two in Scottish Rugby. Uh, he's the man credited with um, being a good negotiator in the recent dealings with the Scottish Scottish government um, because Scottish Rugby got a very good deal, um, financial deal through the pandemic. So he's been credited with the man who negotiated that. Um, he's also credited with um, being responsible for getting Murrayfield sold out for a number of years because of um, aggressive, successful marketing that apparently he's overseen. Uh, I think his background is in PR. Now, that should be good because I've done nothing but complain about the club's PR um, over recent months since I came on. Um, so you'd like to think it doesn't always work out that way. But he's you know coming in to manage quite a big organisation. Um, but it's still a football club. Um, it's still a Scottish football club. I think sometimes... Celtic fans like to overemphasize how big we are. And I, I see that in the arguments about Peter Lowell's salary. Um, I certainly don't think that somebody who's managing a fairly relatively small Scottish company, because Celtic don't have a huge number of employees, a reputation, you know, a position in sport is obviously quite significant. But in terms of the organization, we're not massive. But yet we have a chief executive pulling a, a basic annual salary, which to my mind is is just is just eye-watering. You know, 1.2 million Peter Lowell's received basic salary for the last four years, four or five years, double what he was on before. And in terms of Peter Lowell's legacy, I don't see an improvement in every area of the club that would merit someone doubling their salary in the way that he did. I presume he got it off the back of supposedly not going to Arsenal, you know. So Dermot Desmond, presumably being the power broker, decided we're keeping that guy and we're going to give him more money. And the remuneration committee that David spoke about, they're the people that will make that happen, who just happen to be fairly close working colleagues of Peter's. Um, so lo and behold, he gets a 1.2 million salary from then on and he gets a bonus, which appears to be related to Champions League, qualification, which is how he got an extra 3.5 million three years ago. 
Um, now, to my mind, this is this is the kind of money that shouldn't be leaving a football club our size. You know, he's basically getting a CEO salary, which CEOs down in English football don't get. So it'll be interesting to see. There's already been suggestions that he won't have quite the extensive role that Peter Lawwell has as chief executive, and that there might be other people who are at the club just now, or people brought in who will take on other duties, um, which. I think, you know, the consensus is that would be a good thing because Peter Lawwell's control is too wide-ranging. But he's never been a chief executive before, so it's very difficult to try and get a handle on how he'll be managing and running Celtic, you know. Um, in terms of his background, again, like you, Andrew, I couldn't find out an awful lot because he's been at Scottish Rugby, I think, for the best part of a decade. Um, so he's certainly spoken of warmly in rugby circles. I think we need somebody who can engage with the Scottish government. I think that's probably what led to Peter Lowell's apology because, again, being the organisation that we are, we need to have good links and we need to have um, good relationships with government. Um, so this is, I take some heart from that. But my concerns about engaging with the support, making sure that the support get representation, I'm not so sure any of those will be addressed, you know, because it's another corporate appointment. Yeah, yeah, as you said, he was the second in command. I think it's COO, Chief Operating Officer, I think is his title. Um, he's 42 years old, which, which is very young because uh, not only are the players now younger than me, the, the, the Chief Executive's younger than me. So, you know, times are, times are, um, times not on my side. <laughs> um, and I'm told the first text I got was from a very reliable source from over your neck of the woods to tell me. He is a Celtic man. Mm. So, yeah. So that's um, that's something. He seems but, to be well known within the club. You know, again, from what I pick up with people saying on social media, people who've worked at the club previously or who still work at the club, he seems to be reasonably well known. So that's encouraging, you know, um, somebody who is a bit of a supporter. I mean, there's no doubt Peter Lowell's a supporter. Um, again, lots of criticism. Some of it deserved going his way. Um, but that's the difference, you know, when you're in charge of an organisation, to an extent, you've got to stop being a supporter because you've got different duties and responsibilities. Yeah, funny you should say that um, a few people know him. I'm, I'm jogging back my memory, and he may have been the guy to sap beside me on the way to um, Inverness. Uh, and maybe I shared a bag of cans with him before the police got on and took them <laughs> off. You know, my, my, my memory is a bit hazy. So maybe it was that guy. <laughs> The Bobby doesn't come in and say Danny McGrain's got a job for life at Celtic. He should be <laughs> He might come in and say that you have a job at life for Celtic. They could do it. They could do it. A good historian. Um, yeah, but let's look. Like we've said it before, right? For a club, this like a club the size of Celtic, the benchmark shouldn't be just staying one head, one step ahead of those across the sea. It should be progress in Europe. There's clubs with less money and facilities are now knocking us out of Europe. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, 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 that's the facts. And then it's like, oh, well, we're playing Scotland, you know. Ajax play in Holland and I got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. Now, I don't like them. I don't like the fans. Uh, I like the city, mind you. you know, there's always plenty to do when the fans go there. But... Um, as long as you don't bring your own drugs with you. As long as you don't bring your own drugs with you to the drugs capital of Europe. Um, <laughs> but... There you go. <laughs> but they did, and they've proved. And there's always a team in there that, you know, you always look at even the group stage and you're going, who are this team? You know, they're from Belarus. Or they're from... So mm-hmm. qualification should, for the Champions League 
should and that should be a benchmark the CEO's bonus should be based on. Definitely. Because Charlie Lord was on, Charlie lives in Philadelphia. Charlie was in the podcast series, and Charlie had said, you know, Peter Law's bonus is there no matter what happens, because if we don't qualify, he'll sell a player. And then I don't know how true that is, but it's basically about the money that comes in and out of the club and there's your bonus. Like most companies. But football is different. Football has to be treated different than other PLCs because we, as fans, customers, whatever they call us, Europe is where it's at. And if you are doing well in Europe, you're going to win your league. You're going to win your cups because you're competing. If you're competing with better teams, it's definitely going to. You're definitely going. There's definitely going to be a knock-on effect, especially if you have a strength and depth, which Celtic normally have. To, yeah. you know, if they go away and play in Europe, they can rest up. They should be able to rest the player when they come back against ninety percent of the teams. But this season, no matter what team we're playing, you're nervous. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this current Rangers team have benefited from doing well in Europe the last two years. You know, you get a lot of you get a lot of encouragement, a lot of confidence from doing well against decent teams uh, in the Europa League. And with us failing to get into the Champions League, I, I just always felt that even as fans, we weren't taking the Europa League all that seriously. That's our level. You know, that's where we should be at least holding our own. And this is one of the disappointing things in terms of Peter Lowell's legacy, is where we stand in European football today. It's really quite poor, you know, after a number of disappointing seasons. Um, there's been no significant improvement, um, even to take us back to the Martin O'Neill era in terms of Europe, you know. So that, that's a concern that we haven't actually developed in that sense. Um, and it's something that the support, I think, really missed out on, you know. And there's a lot of the support um, judge the club and how well we do by what goes on in Europe. There's a lot compared to Rangers, and that applies to all great rivalries as well, you know. But yeah, it just, that's what part of the frustration at the moment is, you know, we don't even have decent performances in Europe to hark back to or European competition to look forward to, you know, and our league seasons just collapse from within. Um, so that that's worrying. And that, for a new CEO, that's going to be a lot to take on, I would imagine. Yeah, we're definitely going to be in a rebuilding process. But if Selig was stuck for cash, I'd like them to come out and say, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend a couple of years building up our youth, bring our youth through, bring in a couple of players, like this is what we're going to do. Or if they have plenty of cash and they come out and say, look, we're going to buy X, Y, and Z and we're going to go and have, uh, we're going to go and have a go at Europe. You'd be happy that you, you, you now know the direction of the club. But at the moment, so we don't even know who's going to be manager next week. Yeah. And again, that's poor in terms of communications and keeping your fans on site. We don't know. We're, we're being kept in the dark. And to me, it takes me back to really who's, who's the force at Celtic? Right. So with the passing of the years, we start to get glimpses of what really goes on at Celtic Park in terms of where the power lies. So after the leaves, after the managers leave, O'Neill, Strachan, Rogers, stories start getting told by those individuals, you know, about how they joined the club, who persuaded them. You sometimes get former chairmen talking to fans and telling stories as well. And for me, the thing that comes out crystal clear is that the key decisions are always made by Dermot Desmond. Dermot Desmond no news to anybody, of course, you know, but Dermot Desmond has the power. But it seems to me he doesn't have all the responsibility, you know, because that's why I would have expected him to have stepped up by now to try and clear up this mess that's been created. And it seems to me a reaction to the protests uh, that he's almost sticking it to the fans, you know, by saying, no, you know, you'll, you'll have to sit in this mess that's been created and I'll decide in, in due course what's going to happen. Um, it was, he did say that he tried to persuade Peter Lowell to stay. I think that came as a bit of a surprise to a lot of the support because 
17 years, it's long enough, you know, he's done well, time to go. So the fact that we could have had Peter Lowell in for a few more years, if that's true, is um, a little bit concerning. Um, and he's absolutely effusive in his praise of what Peter Lowell's done. And I think, no wonder, you know, because Peter Lowell's carried out his remit, you know. Um, he's not there very often, my impression. Somebody said to me on Twitter, he's not attended an AGM for more than 12 years. He only seems to be at the bigger games, the European games, and the cup finals and the semi-finals. And I would like, for somebody who's got all this power at Celtic, I would like and expect them to have a greater involvement than that. But again, when he's interviews with people like David Lowe, he's a lot of comfort to be taken from the fact you've got a billionaire in your corner, especially in an unprecedented time like this. Fair enough. But billionaire or not, you would expect him to be stepping forward in either him or through his CEO, shown some leadership to at least give the support some guidance, some confidence that this is going to be sorted. Tonight we're still we're still in lockdown. We're, we're still in we're still in a pandemic. The season's shit. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> I'm going to let you climb into my time machine, and I'm not going to let you go back once. I'm going to let you stop and stop twice. I want you to go back somewhere from one of them fabulous fanzines you do right. somewhere. And then on your way back, I want you to go to an actual game you've been at or, or a trip you've been on now. Okay. Um, thinking back through the fanzines then, um, Cliftonville 1984, there would have been an interesting game to attend. <laughs> I wrote about that it's a couple of years ago now. Um, I would have loved to have been at um, Ajax, who you mentioned, when we beat them. And your George McCluskey interview, I noticed George was saying he'd been on the park with Cruyff. The leash was better. I thought, let's be fair, George, you know, was about 38. <laughs> but fair point, you know. Um, Tommy Burns gets a lot of credit for his performances against in those games at Ajax. Um, so to be part of the away support that night in Amsterdam would have been sensational. And um, when I was writing about that, one of my pals said to me, you know, Joe Miller, for not the view. You know, and I said I knew Joe by Joe by name. I didn't. I'd met Joe a couple of times um, at Hamburg, actually, as it happened down the years. He said, "You get in touch with Joe Miller about that IX game and ask him what happened to him that day, right?" I said, "How come?" He says, "Because when we scored the winning goal, and Nicholas, the Nicholas or McCluskey, Nicholas scored an amazing goal that night. But I think it was maybe George McCluskey got the the winning goal. Um, oh, it was Nicholas. Nicholas goes hearing." towards the corner, away from the goalpost, towards the corner. He says, if you look closely into the darkness, see, that's where the Celtic fans were, but we were stuck up the terrace. But there's a guy, he's jumped the fence, right? <laughs> he's, he's jumped the fence and he's running down the terrace in front of the terrace and the Celtic fans were held in. And he's doing that, arms outstretched, running towards Nicholas. You know, he's still got another fence to go, which you can't go. And Nicholas is running towards him. He says, it's just this amazing sight. So get in touch and ask Joe Miller what the story was there. So um, I did, I got in touch with Joe. And Joe says, I've got a scar. I've got a scar down my side from where the spike in the railing went right through me that night. I <laughs> said, but I just kept on going and jumped over. And that was Joe's memory, running down arms outstretched and Nicholas is running towards him still on the bench. So that's just amazing, you know. And also, um, I think it was Tannadice that Celtic were at the weekend when they came back and uh, the fans were all singing, 
uh, when it's spring again, we'll sing again two one in Amsterdam. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant! And, and we've, we've had Joe on the show twice. Joe is Joe is brilliant. And, and Joe's last podcast, he spoke about you know the punk scene in the seventies in Glasgow, yeah. and, and Joe is just he's a breath of fresh air when you talk about Celtic, you know. But I think he's. He's a bit down at the moment. The last text I got from him was, uh, he was he's just he's just completely pissed off at what's going on at the moment. Um, right, so so you've you've gone back in in the time machine, but where are you going to go to some way of actually being? I thought about um, my first cup final in '85, which was just incredible. I wasn't meant to be there that day. I was 14, um, just chanced it, <laughs> quite strange. Um, and it was amazing. And um, the first game my kids were at in 2012, my boy was two, my daughter was four, um, and they watched uh, Celtic come back, beat Aberdeen in um, the fifth minute of uh, injury time with a Georgia Samaras overhead kick. Oh, Georgia. Yeah. My wife's favourite player of all time. <laughs> the and Ted Provo. Um, ten minutes before this, my boy um, crying, because it was freezing cold, crying and pleading, Dad, can we just go home now? Because Celtic are getting beat, and I'm freezing, and I'm hungry. And my daughter, we were actually in the kind of just beyond the family section, and the Aberdeen fans were over there. My daughter was amazed, Aberdeen. This was Aberdeen's first victory at Celtic Park in, I think, 12 years. So they were going crazy. But we kept coming back and coming back. Then we got it 3-3 about the 90th minute. And I'm saying to the wee man, just stay on, just hold on, I think we're going to win. <laughs> and we did with that amazing overhead kick from Georges. And we were jumping up and down and the Aberdeen fans were absolutely devastated. Um, but I remember that quite well, so I don't need to go back there. The game against Dundee when uh, the Centenary uh, League was won in 1988. I'd love to go back to that day um, because... I don't think I quite appreciated um, how significant and how historic an occasion it would prove to be. Um, my pal Alex that I mentioned earlier, we went through in the supporters bus from Fife. Um, as soon as we arrived off the bus, straight into the ground, probably about two o'clock, just so we could get into the jungle. Because we knew there was going to be a massive crowd because it was paid at the gate, which just seems mental. When you, you know, our hundredth year, we're winning the league today, and it's paid at the gate. <laughs> it's crazy. So I'm saying to him, and I think I had to work hard. Go, no, we need to go in. We need to go in as soon as we get there, and straight in, and then up the back of the jungle. And even then, it was already getting busy, and the gate shut not too long after. So we were there. We had this brilliant. We didn't get in the jungle very often. I seem to remember, you know, um, but we were there and the place just started filling up all around us, filling up. And then you're thinking, these people are coming over because that huge terrace and can't hold them at both sides, you know. And that's what happened. There were so many people in the ground. Um, they had to let them onto the, the park and then they, onto the track and then they had to move them up there. So the place was absolutely bulging at the seams and then the game hadn't even started you know so I would love to be able to go back in time just to see what it was like the game in the jungle with that team Aitken, Burns all these absolute beloved legends you know 
Big Packy, who's a huge favourite of mine. Whenever you mention his name, online, he gets stick from all sorts, which I just think is ridiculous. And I always say, statistically, one of the best goalie Celtics ever had. Doesn't matter statistically, people say he couldn't even catch across what he saved himself. Um, just an amazing day, you know. So I'd love to be able to go back. I'd love to see what the ground was like that day and try and remember it all, you know, because you forget the ways in and the different parts uh, of the ground and the old flood lights and all the rest of it. So that would be amazing uh, just to be able to go back to be 1988 and to experience that. I, I think we did have a sense at the time that this was something pretty special, you know. Um, and the centenary season, as Billy McNeil said, was just turning into a fairy tale because he'd come back. We were buying good players. We got a great striker in, but we already had a very good team there, you know. And Billy just fine-tuned it, and we were playing attacking football, and we were winning games. We were never giving up, you know, the semi-final against Hearts, um, and we deserved as a support. We deserved that day. And it was one of the greatest Celtic occasions ever. So just to be able to go back and just to kind of taste that again would be something special. Oh, if only if only that time machine was was walking, huh? <laughs> I, I give you a good one about Aberdeen and just in the area you were sitting in. I arrived into an Aberdeen game late. I think it might have been under Barnes or Venglas or Douglish. Yeah. The, the, the league was was was. We weren't competing for the league, I don't think, because I arrived in maybe a ten past three, and I was. I'd had a good sub. You know, I'd been in the Gallagher, I'd done the tour of the Gallagher, I'd strolled up. I think I went into every pub on the way up. Some of them pubs, one of the pubs is definitely not there now. I think it's, it's it's a chip shop now. But I went in, I remember there was an Aberdeen fan dressed as a chicken and he got arrested. <laughs> right? And to my knowledge, the game was, was 2-2. I was back in beds that night. I was staying overnight and I was talking to these boys from Cork. And we were we were arranging to go to Brazen Head to see yeah. Charlie and the boys or, or somebody or Era or maybe. And I said, oh, I was a great great day, but just a pity we didn't win, you know. My mum was looking at me, you know. You know, say two two, you know. So I ended up going to the Brazen Head with these boys from Cork. I haven't ever seen them since, right? Because they probably thought this lunatic can't count. So the next morning, woke up in a hotel, hung over, no internet then, so. Got the papers for the for the the flight home or the bus home, whatever I was on, and you know, straight to, straight to the Celtic match reports, you know. We we'd won three two. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so kids, if you're listening, don't drink before a game and go in, watch the 90 minutes. So that's that that's one game I probably would go back and apologize to them car clats at me time machine. <laughs> but um it look it's been absolutely brilliant to chat and I think this is going to be a two-parter because uh, oh when I send this to Ronan to produce, he's going to have a heart attack. We've been talking for hours. Um, <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's gone by in, in a flash. But before I let you go, I'm really looking forward to this Johnny Doyle book, the biography of Johnny Doyle. And I know how well you're going to research and write it. Um, when can we expect it? Well, hopefully, um, it'll be out for Johnny's 70th birthday anniversary uh, which will be in April April yeah April um and this is also the um uh, this will be the 40th anniversary of Johnny's death uh, as well um in October so I'll be working on it for over a year 
Um, it's mostly written. There's a few things I want to um, still do and still find out. Um, but it's been it's been brilliant. You know, it's been fantastic um, learning about his playing career. Air United, in a very different time in Scottish football, when Air United managed to stay in the Premier Division, well, first division, then the Premier Division, for a good seven or eight years straight. He's the last Air United player to be selected for Scotland for international honours, and he was the first one in 50 years as well. But the attraction here was, um, I remember, I've always heard stories about Johnny Doyle. There's a lot of um, fans who are just a wee bit older than me, probably in their mid-50s and their 60s now. He remains a favourite for a lot of people, uh, and that's interesting how somebody who was not a Celtic superstar, you know, nobody's saying he was um, in the same category as Dugleish and Jinky and all these guys, you know. Um, but there's a connection that Johnny Doyle had with the Celtic support, which is quite unusual, you know, in its strength and the fact that it survived. And that's one of the things I wanted to try and find out how come, you know, what was different about Johnny Doyle, even from, say, his great friend Tommy Burns, you know. Um, and in the interview that you had with George McCluskey uh, as well, Andrew, I noticed that George was saying, you know, I'm a Celtic, Celtic diehard, Tommy one Celtic diehard, Johnny Doyle was just different again. He was absolutely mad, you know, and he came from a Celtic mad family. He's definitely got a Celtic mad daughter. <laughs> Joanna's very well known. And it was through Joanna that I got asked to to do the book. You know, I'd previously done a, a memorial booklet on Johnny about 12, 13 years ago. So that's also part of the inspiration. But just a... a a very interesting individual, you know, the stories about him are legendary. So you're looking to see, well, are the legends true? You know, is, um, <laughs> what is it about Johnny? Um, why is it people still remember him? Why are they still telling stories about him? And I think it's because there's a definite personal link there because people still remember and people have been sending me photos of Johnny turning up at supporters' dues when he wasn't meant to be there, um, turning up at Player of the Year awards for youth clubs, staying for an hour or two hours, helping the women sleep up afterwards, you know. Fans sent their photos. There's his ma, there's the brush, there's Johnny helping her. This, this is a guy who just loved to be in the company of other Celtic supporters. Um, and he would go out of his way and he gave up so much of his time to do that, you know. Um, he's also a guy who... Wanted to make a living from football. So as I said, he was part-time at here, but he wanted to get full-time. Um, he was desperate for Celtic to come into him, but it looked as though it wasn't going to happen for quite a long time. Um, he was getting really frustrated at the treatment he was getting from defenders and referees and the lack of protection. And interestingly, that was something he was taking a, a stance on through the players' union. He was active in the players' union at the time, along with people like um, Alex Ferguson, who was a teammate of his at Ayr, um, who speaks about him as well. So being busy trying to gather in all these stories, um, his life story, the facts behind it as well. But fortunately as well, there's Joanna and Jason, his children, his sister Anne-Marie's been a fantastic help, you know, in piecing together the background. The family story in itself is, is quite interesting. Um, and the kind of mining background that the family have, the Doyle family have in the Lanarkshire area also. Um, so that there's, there's lots to it, you know, but there's just, he was difficult to sum up. Because so contrary, because people who knew him personally will tell you Johnny Doyle, a quiet guy, an inoffensive guy, you know, um, real family guy, two young children, doted on them, wasn't a drinker, you know, wasn't a big social, socialiser, and married 
a young age as well, you know. So this was somebody who had a history of hell raising, partying, or whatever, you know. Um, but his public demeanor was the complete opposite of that. He was mental, you know. He was in. He was crazy. Um, when Air United famously beat Rangers, a Rangers team that went on to win the treble in seventy, when I mean seventy five, I think. Um, Air beat them three 0 at Somerset Park, and it was a good Air team. And Johnny was one of the leaders in that air team. He didn't score, but when that third goal went in, he ran all the way down the long side of the park in front of the Rangers fans with his crucifix out from under his jersey. It's just he did the same when he scored against Rangers at Hamden three years later. And David Proven says Billy McNeil had given the players express instructions that day. I think it was it might have been a league game, it might have been when Rangers were playing at Hamden that season. Express instructions like the police have been in to the club. We want to, the players need to calm things down. We don't want any hassle today. So you're all under instructions. No bother. Johnny scores against Rangers, runs round the back of the goals in front of the Rangers end at Hamden, whips out his crucifix again. <laughs> and David Proffitt is running after him going, what are you doing? You were telling no to do anything daft, you know? Um, absolutely crazy. Um, so it's, just trying to understand that, you know? Eddie, Eddie Toner, tells a story from his granddad. So, as well as being groundsman, um, Eddie's granddad would be involved when the, the team go to Ibrox as well, part of the, the group, you know, helping the, presumably helping the kit guys, helping the stuff get moved in and out from the coach and what have you. So, Eddie says his granddad long told the story. They're getting in there. The Celtic bus has arrived at the front of the, the main stand at Ibrox. So, you get fans out there, you know, the boon and all the rest of it, you know. And in they come, and that's it, you know, straight into the dressing room, no hanging around, obviously. It's not the friendliest places for Celtic people. Straight in. Except for the fact there's a commotion because on the stairs in the marble staircase, Johnny Doyle is standing belting out the Celtic song. And Eddie's granddad and others are sent back to drag Johnny Doyle off the marble staircase and into the dressing room. Just unbelievable. Um, and this is it, you know, he behaved... He behaved like a fan would behave, which isn't really what you're looking for from your players necessarily. And I noticed as well that George, and there's loads of information I've got from George McClus because of all the interviews that George has given as well. But when he was speaking to you, Andrew, I noticed he said in the 4-2 game, he said it was almost as if Johnny's eyes were glazed over, you know? He, he forgot he's there to do a job. Um, and the idea of... Alex McDonald, who he'd had a lot of run-ins with down the year, who he knew also through the Players' Union. Alex McDonald stealing time. Celtic are losing this crucial game. He's lying down there. He's feigning injury. So he puts his hand out, help to lift him up. McDonald pushes him away and rolls around again. So what does he do? He kicks him up the arms. He just does. And I, I, as you were asking, and George McCluskey was saying as well, he was devastated, you know. He was he was crying his eyes out. He thought his Celtic career was over because he lost us that league. And then amazingly, his teammates managed to pull it out of fire and score four goals um, and then becomes legend. And uh, one of the things I found was um, both John Clark and Billy McNeil saying years later that um, the players would wind Johnny Doyle up by singing the old, uh, the old song, Ten men won the league. <laughs> and Billy McNeil and John Clark were quite happy to let this go because he deserved it, you know. <laughs> but he took it on the chin. <laughs> it's 
you know, you've, you've obviously done some serious research and, you know, you've put a year of, of, your, of your life into it. And I hope that when it comes out, that it sells well and people read it because I know I know the effort that goes in, people like yourself put into these books and they're not like, they're not like a cashing in for Christmas book. These are a labour of love. And, you know, we need to get behind, you know, the independent authors and publishers and because we have, we have a great scene going and uh, yeah, there'll always be, and I suppose now with social media and so much content out there, some of the quality content gets lost. You could launch a book at the same time as a player, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. you know, the player's book would be, you know, wouldn't be wouldn't be quite up to standard as as the one that maybe you would write or Brendan or or David Potter or whatever. And but the publicity of this book and you know, if if the club are backing it, it gets lost. So I hopefully this will do really well and let us know. Keep us posted on it and we'll keep pushing it out when the book comes out because I for one can't wait to read it. Because yeah. it, it is it's it's a player that again, like I don't know that much about before my time. You hear about him in song which not every player is remembered yeah. in song. And uh, I, I did see some stuff on social media from, is his daughter named Joanne? Joanna, yeah. I, I did see some stuff on her, so um, best of luck with it. But most of all, thanks very much for coming on for a chat. As I said, it could be a two-parter um, because there's so much, we've covered so much in it. It was great to talk about the current woes of the team and that, but more importantly, it was great to get into your Celtic soul and let you into my time machine. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Andrew. Paul, absolute pleasure and best of luck with the book best of luck with the fans in I'll put all the details of the Shamrock in the podcast description folks so make sure you check out Paul's range of books fanzines Celtic Graves and um, Walford Walking Tour you know because this man a lockdown this man this man is not even in the lockdown he's writing books some <laughs> man Paul thanks a million hail hail thank you Andrew all the best Hey, hail well, folks, I think you'll all agree that was well worth keeping the tape running and having a second part with Paul. I cannot wait to read the Johnny Doyle book he's working on. He's put some hours into it and he's done some research. So, folks, when it comes out, make sure you get a copy because this is going to be one of the best books of the year. Issue 113 of the fanzine is now on sale and all pre-ordered copies and subscription copies have been sent out in the post. So you should have it by the time you listen to this, maybe. If, you, if you're in Ireland, it might take a little day or two longer to get to the UK with Brexit now. has slowed the post down, unfortunately. As always, I'd like to thank my producer, Ronan McQuillan, for his excellent work. And folks, as I said earlier, if you like what we're doing with the podcast, the fanzine and the website, and you would like to support us, you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a pint. Don't forget to visit the website for all our articles and news updated every day. And don't forget to download the app, that's free. So click into it on Apple or Google Play and you can download Celtic Fanzine app. All episodes of the podcast are available on all platforms. Hit the subscribe and follow button so you'll never miss an episode and you can always leave a five-star review. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and all the details are in the podcast description. We're looking for a few sponsors, so if you're Celtic-minded businessman with a Celtic-minded business and you would like to support us or as you're a Celtic supporters club and you would like to support us or an individual member, you're more than welcome to support the podcast. Contact us at info at CelticFancy.com or through the website or message us on social media. Folks, if you're enjoying the conversations with all our guests, don't forget to spread the word and if you've missed some of our episodes, they're all available on the platform or you can also get them on CelticFancy.com or on the app. So once again, folks, thanks for listening. 
St. Johnson up at noon on Sunday. Another away weekend stuck on the sofa. But as I said last week, get out into that fresh air, get out and about, keep the head right. And if you're having any problems, don't bottle them up. Speak to someone because there's always someone there to listen. Now, we've been lending our support to musicians and artists over the last number of podcasts. And last week we had the Blarney Pilgrims on and what a reaction we had to them. There was some great chat on the WhatsApp group and some great messages coming through on the social media platforms about reliving gigs in Dublin, Glasgow, Drogheda and Dulik. It was They were just such a brilliant band and I'm hearing they have another album coming out and I'm also hearing that there might be the odd live gig coming up. Hopefully there will be because it would be great to go and see the Blarneys again and I suppose get together with the old crew when all this bloody lockdown is over. So folks, we're going to play you another Blarney's Pilgrim song today from the Grand Was a Celtic Man album, 200 Miles From Home. I suppose, as Mark Bork from Nave Park said to me, the joy and misery of travelling on a coach trip to see Celtic. So folks, that's all for this episode. Stay tuned, stay safe, and as always, keep the faith. The party's over The bus is quiet now The duty free's no longer going round The boys down the back have stopped their singing They're trying to get their heads down The beer's too warm for drinking And the coffee Well, it's way too cold It's three o'clock in the morning And we're still 200 miles from home It seems like we've been on the road forever The people we've met And the stories But it's been less than 48 hours Since we bade Govan Hill a fond farewell
tape to the other side And Christy Moore singing Johnny Dreams Will be a lullaby Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 